All right. Well, let me welcome you again to Big Valley Grace, especially if this is your first time with us. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. Thank you, Tim, for leading worship over there. And if you're watching online, out in the cafe, we're just really, really thankful you're, you're with us, okay? Now, 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 here's the deal. Here comes the most uh, powerful moment in the whole gathering. Here, here's the weighty moment, okay? God's family has, has gathered, and, and, and this next sentence is, is the key to the whole thing. Okay, ready? Here we go. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. Okay? Not, there, there's nothing more weighty that, that I'm going to say than that phrase right there. Take your Bibles and turn. Unfortunately, um, in too many churches today, you don't ever hear that phrase. And um, if you don't own a copy of the Word of God, all you have to do is go into the altar room here, the altar room over in the venue, and we'll give you your own copy of the Scripture so you can, you know, write notes, underline things. Man, what does that mean? Or that doesn't make any sense. Or that was really great. That really spoke to me or whatever. I know you all have Bibles on your smartphones. Uh, I got a bunch of them on mine. There's nothing wrong with reading the Scriptures on your smartphone. But when you come into a gathering like this, you need the book. You need to be able to write notes. You need to be able to do that kind of thing. And you can't do that very well or very easily on a smartphone. So this uh, past week, I was thinking about some of the, the great prayers that are, that are found in the Bible. You go through the Old Testament, those 39 books in the Old Testament, and wow, they're just loaded with just great prayers. You get to the 27 books in the New Testament, and in the New Testament, there are all these great uh, prayers. I, I was thinking about Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. I was thinking about Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18, or Moses' prayer in Exodus chapter 32. I mean, the Bible is just loaded with these weighty prayers from you know, God's people. But without a doubt, Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 is the greatest prayer ever prayed. It's also the longest recorded uh, prayer in, in the Bible. And we're going to read a little piece of it. And I'm going to make a few comments about it. And I think it'll be encouraging to you. And I also think it'll be challenging. So uh, let's read some of it together, okay? John chapter 1, or 17, look at verse 1. Okay? It says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and I'm going to stop right there just for a second. Um, this isn't a posture that I think most Christians kind of think about when they think about prayer. I think the average Christian kind of has this image, you're down on your knees, you know, and your head is bowed and your eyes are closed and there's kind of this humility involved in it which there's nothing wrong with that. But here we have Jesus looking up. And, and I, I want you to know, Christian, it's okay to have times of prayer where you just look up and say, Father, you know, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's happening to my family. You know, God, would you watch over this or whatever it is? Th that's okay. There, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You should I think this kind of shows us that we should never confuse the non-essential customs of prayer with the essential aspects 
of, of prayer. Father, the hour has come. The time for Jesus to go to the cross had come. 2,000 years ago, he was, he was born in a little town called Bethlehem. He lives a perfect life, a sinless life, and at age 30, he really began his earthly ministry. He began preaching and teaching and performing miracles. And for a little over three years, he walked around you know, Jerusalem and, and, and Judea. And now the hour had come. He, he, he knew he was going to the cross. The hour had now come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Verse two, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one that you have given him. And this is how, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you have sent I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was so confident that he was gonna go to the cross in a day and die. He was so confident, he's talking as if it already has has happened. Verse five. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. In these first five verses, Jesus is praying for himself. And Christian, let me just make this statement before I get into all this. It's okay to pray for yourself. In fact, praying for yourself is a good thing. Yes, you should pray for your family, your spouse, your grandpa, your friends, whatever your business. There's nothing wrong with that. But but there's nothing wrong with Praying for yourself. There's nothing selfish about it. Here we have Jesus basically praying for himself. Now when you get to the next 14 verses, Jesus is gonna pray for his disciples. Look look, look at verse six. He said, I have revealed you to the ones that you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, they they believed it, and, and know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scripture foretold. And there he's talking about Judas. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. 
Look at verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. So in these verses, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And now in the next two, Jesus is going to pray for you. Verse 20 says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And I'll stop right there, okay? So, so these are like some really, really weighty words. Um, I did an eight-week series once just on John chapter 17. And, and in those eight weeks, I barely even began to scratch the surface of all the truth that we find here. And so what I want to do here today is I'm going to come at this from a little different angle. Okay? I want to make... Uh, three comments, and all of these comments have to do with Jesus and you, and they're all taken from this prayer. And the first one is this, Jesus is the only way that you get to heaven. It's the only way that you'll ever get to heaven. And he makes it crystal clear in this prayer. Jesus Praise this prayer knowing that the disciples were there listening to the prayer. Jesus praised this prayer knowing that John was going to actually write out the prayer so that 2,000 years later, everybody sitting in this room over in the venue watching online would also get to hear the prayer. And some of the comments that Jesus makes to the Father are somewhat interesting because he already knew that truth. It's obvious he's simply saying it out loud so that the disciples would hear it and ultimately one of them would record it for us. Look at verse three. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ the one you sent to earth. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say anything about baptism there. Jesus doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues there. Jesus doesn't say anything about, you know, living a good life or a holy life. He doesn't say any of that there. He's crystal clear about how someone has eternal life, how somebody is going to go to heaven. Jesus said that the way to eternal life, the way that you get to heaven is through a relationship with him, which obviously would mean you have a relationship with his father. Jesus is crystal clear here in this prayer, crystal clear. In John chapter six, some people asked Jesus a, a great question. It says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What, what, what do we got to do, Jesus? 
Tell us, give us the list. What do we gotta check off? What is the work, Jesus? And Jesus said, well, here's the work. The work of God is this, is to simply believe in the one whom he has sent. That's, that's the work. That's it, that's crystal clear, isn't it? Once again, Jesus is it's just super clear. Hey, this is a big book with lots of words in it. But the central truth found in here is just crystal clear. Who did, who did God send? He sent Jesus. What's the work of God? Believe in Jesus. Where does someone that believes in Jesus go when they die? Heaven, they have eternal life. I mean, Jesus is crystal clear here. Jesus himself said this in John chapter three. He said, for God so loved the world, he so loved you and I that he sent his one and only son. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. They'd go to heaven. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's son. Once again, this is just so clear. The father didn't send Jesus here to condemn anybody. We were already condemned. Our sin condemned us. What happened in Genesis chapter three when, when Adam disobeyed God, it brought condemnation upon all of us. We all stand condemned. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to fix the problem of condemnation. And the only way you fix the problem of condemnation, which is sin, is Jesus. And he erases the sin. He takes away the sin. He cleanses you of your sin so that everything can be made right between you and the very one who created you. Jesus also said this in John chapter 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. There's a lot of room up in heaven. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And when everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Nobody is going to experience eternal life. Nobody is gonna to get to heaven except through a relationship with Jesus. Crystal clear, crystal clear. Paul kind of weighs in with his own version of this. He says this in Romans chapter 10. He said, all, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, anybody who believes in Christ will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul's crystal clear here. How we experience eternal life, how we get to heaven is crystal clear in the scriptures, crystal clear. It's simply through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sin had messed up our lives, it had separated us from God and the only thing that could erase what sin had done was blood. And I talked about this a number of months ago. It took royal blood, it took holy blood, it took perfect blood, sinless blood. And Jesus, when he died on that cross, he was holy, he was righteous, he was perfect. And when he died on that cross, there was blood everywhere. There was blood coming out of his hands, blood coming out of his feet, blood coming out of his forehead, blood coming from the, the, his back, blood coming from the spear that went in his side. There was blood everywhere. And that blood was royal blood. It was sinless blood. It was perfect blood. Blood was all over Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they were carrying that body away. And it's that blood that fixes the problem of, of, of sin. It makes it possible for you, you and I to have our sins forgiven and thus go to heaven. Our brother Peter penned these words. He said, Christ suffered for our sins for all times. He suffered. Oh, he suffered by becoming a human being. You know, uh, we're told in scripture that he became nothing in that little you know, manger in Bethlehem. But certainly the suffering he experienced when he went to the cross was for our sins. Peter reminds us, he, he never sinned. He was perfect. He was the, you know, the second person of the Holy Trinity. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. It's all that suffering, it's all that blood that makes everything right again, right again with the Father. Anyway, look again at verse three of our text, John 17. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So the first point that I wanna make out of this prayer is that Jesus makes it clear that the only way anybody ever gets to heaven is through our relationship with Jesus. Now, now here's the second thing. Jesus wants you engaged in the world or he wants you engaged in, 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 in the culture, okay? Look, 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 look at uh, verse 15. This is a part of his prayer, okay? He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Remember, he's praying. Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm just asking that you keep them safe from the evil one. See that? Now, I want you to understand something. What Jesus did at the cross was the knockout blow to Satan and the demons, okay? What he accomplished at the cross, you know, you know Satan had to tap out. That's, that, that's the big moment. He dies on a cross and he sheds his, his blood for, for all of us. In other words, Jesus won the victory. But make no mistake about it, Satan and the demons are still running around trying to goof up believers. 
In fact, some of you are, you know, in the midst of him messing up your life, right? Messing up your family, messing up, you know, your marriage, messing up your business. Our brother Peter said this. He said, hey, stay stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. He doesn't say the pastor's great enemy. He doesn't say the missionary's great enemy. He doesn't say the church's great enemy. He makes it personal. Your great enemy, your great enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Yes, the knockout blow happened at the cross, beloved. But we, 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 we still, you know, got a problem. We still have a, to, to, to deal with the demonic. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter six. He said, well, hey, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. I often tell my staff, listen, we're in a war against demons. The, the, the war isn't a flesh and blood war. It's against, it's against the demons. They're real. Yes, Jesus won the, the, the fight, man, at the cross, but we still have to interface with demons, you see? They're real. They're so good at what they do, they'll make it seem like or you'll feel like the enemy is your spouse. They're so good at what they do, they'll, they'll make you feel like or it'll seem like the enemy is, you know, your parents or your boss or whatever. That's how good they are. But the truth of Scripture is, no, they're not the enemy. The enemy is, is demonic. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul gives us a really weighty piece of information here. He said, Satan, who is the God of this world, and that's a small g, by the way, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. That's how powerful Satan is. He blinds people to the truth of who Jesus is. He's the God of, 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 of this age. Yes, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We get that. And we believe that truth and we stand on that truth. But make no, no mistake about it. We're, 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 in a, we're in a real war here. Now, my point in all this is that I think it's super interesting that Jesus doesn't ask the Father to take us out of the world. That's my whole point in this. I mean, why would Jesus want you to be left down here on planet Earth with Satan and the demons? Why doesn't God just take you to heaven the moment you give your life over to him? I mean, you're going there anyway, right? Why does God want you here? What's the point of God leaving you here? I think about that kind of stuff, and I, I, I lose sleep over that kind of stuff. I walk around in my office over there. Really? You, oh, Lord, you know, Father, don't take him out of the world. I wonder why. Why are you here? Why are you still breathing? Why are you still taking up space down here on planet Earth? You know, what's, what's God up to? What, what's in this moment of this prayer? What's he getting at here? Well, I think God's up to a lot of things, but, but here's the big one. Look at verse 18 of the prayer. 
He said, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. In other words, Jesus was given a mission by his father. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world for a reason. There was a purpose for that baby being born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Well, what is that reason, Pastor? Well, I, I think Luke chapter 19 really captures in a sentence what Jesus' mission here on planet Earth was. Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came, little town called Bethlehem, to seek and to save what was lost. I think that's a great sentence that really captures the essence of what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so here we have Jesus saying, just as you sent me into the world, Father, I'm now sending these guys into the world. Now obviously these guys weren't gonna go and, 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 and you know, they, they didn't save anybody. But they were going to be the, um, what word should I use? Ambassadors, that's a pretty good word. That's a biblical word. They were gonna be the ones who would go out and tell people about how they could be saved. How they could experience eternal life. Jesus wants his people engaged in the world. He, he doesn't want us of the world, but he wants us in the world. And because Jesus knew that there was a devil and he knew about the demons here in this prayer, he says, God, I don't want you to take them out of the world. They're needed in the world. I just want you to protect them from the evil one. That's what I want you to do, protect them as they go about sharing with others this great story of hope and redemption. Now, I really want you to understand this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful, peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And here it is, verse 3. Look at verse 3. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody saved. He wants everybody to understand the truth. He wants everybody to understand the truth that, that they were made, that human beings were made in the very image of God. He wants them to understand the truth of what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam sinned and now the image of God was marred. He wants them to understand the truth that God from you know, Genesis on promised that he would send a savior, a Messiah. He wants the, the world to know that, that that promise was fulfilled in that little town called Bethlehem. You know, Today in the town of David, a savior has been born for you. He wants everybody to understand the truth of the implications of sin and that God so loved us, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. He wants everybody to know that. And here's the bizarre thing. He wants you to do it. He doesn't need you to do it. 
he could just get the message out just like he did with the great apostle Paul. Paul's, you know, riding a horse on his way to Damascus and bam, he gets knocked off and, you know, Jesus goes, hey, what are you doing, man? Come on, knock it off. <laughs> he, he could do that with everybody if he wanted to, but he doesn't. And in this prayer, Father, you sent me, and now I'm sending them. There's this, um, I don't know, great parable found in Luke chapter 14, and, and it says this, starting in verse 16. It says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all, been, they all began to make excuses. One, one said, hey, I just bought a field and I gotta go inspect it. You know, please excuse me. I, I got a business deal I'm working at. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and you know, I need to go out and kick the tires. I, I need to take them for a test drive kind of a thing. Please excuse me. Another said, hey, I just got married, so I can't come. That's the only guy that had a legitimate excuse. <laughs> when your wife says, look, you need to stay home. It's a marriage tip. That's the marriage tip, guys, right there. By the way, that's dealing with the Jews. He came to the Jews. Come, come, come. Nah, I don't want to be a part the servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was fierce and said, okay, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now he's talking about the Gentiles, basically, here. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come, and here it is, man. Look at, look, look at the next little line there. So that the house would be filled that's, that's the heart of God. He wants his house full. He wants everybody to know the truth. He wants everybody to come to Christ. He wants everybody to give their life to the son, his son. He wants his house full. As crazy as it sounds, he sends us on that mission. There's this... Um, old Jewish legend, and it goes like this. Uh, after Jesus had died on the cross, he goes to heaven and the, the angels all gathered around him. And they said, hey, Jesus, look, man, we, we can't believe what you did. We can't believe, number one, you even left the glories of heaven to go down and be born and become a human being. We can't believe what what those human beings did to you. We saw the pain and the agony that you went through down there. We saw it. We, 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 it was just the humiliation of it all, Jesus. And you, you, you left the message with, with those 12 guys. What if they blow it? What if they fumble the ball? What's the backup plan? And Jesus looked at these angels and said, well, there is no backup plan. And one angel piped up and said, hold on here a second. You're telling me you went through all of that pain and sorrow. You shed your blood. You went through all of that. 
and you left the message with those 12 guys, man, your right-hand man's already denied you three times. Come on, there has to be a backup plan. What's plan B? And Jesus said, there's, there's no backup plan. There's no plan B. I'm counting on him. I'm counting on him. Well, here it is. It's 2,000 years later. There's no backup plan. There's no plan B. He's counting on us. He's counting on us. He wants you engaged in the world. He wants you engaged in the culture. And he's prayed that you be protected. Look, I want you to know something. I've been thinking a lot about this. About how I can engage this culture at a greater level. I spend most of my life around believers, around Christians, and it's great, it's wonderful. But I'm, I'm trying to think about how in the world can I do this? How, how do I get out and, and be more strategic in, in this idea of reaching lost people? I want you to know that. In fact, it's kind of gripped my soul for a long time. Because I know that's what God wants us to do. Look at verse 15 again. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. In other words, he wants us here for a purpose. But he says, Father, just, just protect them while, while they're out there. And last but not least, number, number three, and that is Jesus prays for you. Look at verse 20. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Have you ever had someone come to you? Probably this crowd, none of you would have, I know that. I've had people come to me before and say, hey, will you pray for me? And nobody, nobody in here would say, no, nah, I'm not gonna pray for you. Nobody's a loser like that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's gonna, oh yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna pray for you. No, get out of here, go, get, go ask someone. <laughs> yeah, I'll pray for you. And then, you never pray for him, right? Not, not you, I get it. You all fulfill that promise. I have on many times, someone says to me, hey, will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. And, and then I get back to doing whatever I'm doing. And I never pray. Just don't, just don't do it. Basically what Jesus says here is this. I'm praying for you. I'll pray for you. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And here's the deal. Jesus, Jesus always fulfills his promises. So if he says, I'm praying for you, he, he's like literally praying for you. Literally, he's praying for you. And I sat around and I thought about this. You see, Jesus went on a, a mission. He went to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus knew he knew his mission would succeed. Knew it. 
Jesus knew that he was going to die on the cross. He knew that. Jesus knew he would walk out of the tomb, you know, three days later. Jesus knew he would go back to the, the, the Father and send the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower his disciples. He, he knew all of that. Jesus knew that those disciples would go out and preach the, the gospel and that people would be converted. Jesus knew that because of their preaching, the church would be founded. And you can read about that in, in the book of Acts. Jesus knew that 2,000 years later, you'd give your life to him. And so he prays for you. Jesus could look throughout the eons of time. And he knew that in, the, in 1980, you know, that there'd be this guy who was sinful and lost, just lost. He, 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 he could see this, this, this kid who, who, who didn't believe in God, and he knew about people who would come and would share the good news with this person. And he knew that this person would give his life to Christ. He knew it. So here we have him praying for me. You see, the disciples went out and preached the gospel, and then they reached people, and those people went out and preached the gospel, you see, and then they reached people, and those people went out and reached the gospel, and they went out and told, eh, 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 eh. batons have been handed down throughout the centuries, and back in the 80s, I took the baton, and I'm running my leg of the race right now. So are you. I don't know how much time you got. I just know that 2,000 years ago, 12 guys started preaching the gospel, and they ran their leg of the race, handed it off, ran their, and now here we are. And Jesus is praying for everybody who will ever come to faith in Christ from the preaching of these guys, and that includes me and you. And the last thing I, I, I see here is that Jesus prays that there would be great oneness or unity amongst his family. That, that was his prayer. That's interesting. Um, Jesus put it another way in, in John 15. He said this. He said, hey, if you want people to know that you're one of my disciples, you want people to know that you're really a believer, you really are following me, he said, it won't be because you carry around a big four foot by four foot, you know, Jerry Falwell Bible. That won't be it. It won't be because you put a honk if you love Jesus sticker on your car. It won't be because you got crosses hanging around your lobes or around your neck. That won't be it. Nothing wrong with those things. Jesus said, here's how the world will know that you're one of my disciples. It'll be your love for one another, and he's talking about those inside the church. It'll be how much you care about each other, you love each other, the unity that you have as a, as a family member of the Father. And so here we have Jesus saying, look, here's my prayer for all of these people that come to faith in me. Just want them to be one. I want there to be unity and harmony and love. That doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. There's a lot of non-essential things we, we, we don't have to agree on. You, you know, 
I may wear a tie, I may not. I don't care, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. You may, hey, I don't like the fact there are guns in here. Yeah, okay, I get it, man, all right, that's fine. I don't like the black carpet. Really, what's this guitar up here? Come on. <laughs> Light shines on it, gets in my eyeballs. I don't know. Music's too loud. It's not loud enough. Got, got, what are all those lights up there? Songs, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they all are. We don't have to agree on those things. But there are some things that we go, yes. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. You see, there are some things that we grab a hold of and say, there's no wiggle room on these things. These are the things that unite us. What color the walls are, that really what kind of cross is that? You know what? I don't know. People that are way more creative than I came up with that. I don't get it. I, you know, I, I just show up and go, wow, that's neat. Look at these helmets, man. I, I don't do any of that. I don't care. What I care about are the essentials. And Jesus prays, hey, may you be, may you be one. May there be great unity. Look, I'm a, I'm a champion for the church in our city. I love my town. I love the city. I love the churches in our city. Every Saturday night when we gather to pray, every Sunday when we gather to pray, no joke, you can ask anybody who's in those meetings, and there's, and there's a lot, we always pray for other churches in our city by name, and we pray for the preachers of those cities by name. We're not all preaching the same text we're not all preaching, you know, the same messages or singing the same songs. Uh, you know, some do communion every week. Some do it once a month. Some baptize all the time. Some don't. Some, uh, we're all doing some things differently, but I'll tell you what. These are all great churches, and they're doing great things for the kingdom of God. They're, they're about the Father's business, and they're doing it the way God wants them to do it. And we're doing our best to kind of do it the way God wants us to do it. Look, the enemy knows that the heart of the Lord is that there'd be unity. And so is it any wonder that he does all that he can to goof up the church? Is it any wonder that the church is like a family? You're the bride of Christ and you know, we're brothers and sisters. Is it any wonder that, that the demons would go all out for your family to bring discord in your own family? just like he does the family of God. And we gotta work really hard to say, you know what, look, man, I may not agree with everything. I don't have to like everything, and it's okay to have an opinion, but what's not okay is that you, is that you sow seeds of disunity, disharmony. I can't tell you how many people have left this church over my 35, six, seven years here, and when they leave, you know, they got their six shooters on. And they're just talking trash about her. You know, Rick's mustache. I mean, it's just, this is weird. It's like, it's like they're just finding something to gripe about. Hey, look, man, put your six shooters away and just go to another place. I'm good, I'm good with that. Because here's the thing. We don't run back around and go, well, you know, here's the deal, you know. We don't do that. 
And they're out there just being used by the enemy. Now look, we got great unity in our church. Don't misunderstand me. There's great love in this church. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> Tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> it doesn't take much. It's like that dumb snake that's in a can. That's how quick the enemy works. You take your mind up, and there's this unity. It happens just like that. Hey, isn't this great? We all love each other. We're all fighting each other. It's just crazy. I've seen it happen here. Trust me. I've been around a long time. When was the last time in your prayer life where you said, man, I just want to pray for my church family. I want to pray for unity. I want to make sure there's all kinds of great love here. Man, what a great testimony to the world. Hey, look, man, I don't believe in their God. I don't know what goes on there at 4040 Tully Road, but I do know this. They kind of like, really like each other there. What a horrible testimony as they drive by to go, you know what, I don't believe in their God, and thank God, I don't want any part of their God, because they're always fighting there. I get enough of that at work. <laughs> I get enough of that at home, you know. Why would I want to go there and be a part of all that fighting and disunity? See how it works. And so, family, please, man, make sure you're praying for, for unity here, love here in your times of prayer. And then let me also just say this. Who are you praying for? Here we see Jesus praying for us, but who, who are you praying for? I'm sure if you're married, you're praying for your family and your spouse, and that's all, that's all good. Maybe your grandpa, your grandma, that's, that's all good. You have, a, you have a, a few names of some folks who don't know Christ yet that you're praying for? Hmm. Can I tell you something that's somewhat sad and it's what's driving me to think about the, my, my culture I live in? My, my list is pretty small of people who don't know Christ that I'm praying for. And that troubles me. Because I spend all my life around Christians. I strategically, you know, when I go to my gym, you know, I'm trying to build relationships with some people. It's strategic. I just don't go and do stuff. I'm strategically trying to figure out how I can build a relationship with people who don't know Christ. And I'm not, I'm not strategic enough. And I'm asking God to help me be more strategic as I engage the world, engage the culture, so that I might have a few more people on my list that I might pray for. And I just want to challenge you, who, who are you praying for? Who is that? Who, who is it that needs to know the, the Lord in your sphere? Okay, everybody here, stand up. Everybody over in the venue, stand up, okay? And so, Father, thank you for uh, this weekend. It's been just really great, God. I've just dug it. Thank you for um, just the great sacred music we sing here. Thank you for a chance to worship you through our giving and Lord, thank you for all of those that are teaching Sunday school classes and working the cafe and making fellowship really great around here. Thank you for all of them, Lord. Thank you for the word. Because without it, we just don't know you to the depths that we can. Give us a great afternoon, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Jesus.